This is episode number 48 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of To Birth and Beyond. It's Jesse Mundell and Anita Lambert. We are so excited for today's episode. This is a Q&A all about incontinence. We did a call for questions on this episode and we were flooded by them. I don't think we're going to get to them all today. We got so many. We will do a part two on this one eventually. We want to get to the basics today, answer some of your specific questions to get you some help as soon as possible. We also want to start, though, by giving you an overview and talking about what incontinence is. There are many different forms and types. So I think let's start there, Anita, to set the stage. What actually is incontinence? What does this mean? Mm-hmm. So this is referring to, we'll talk about fecal incontinence as well, which is losing stool. Um, but urinary incontinence, there's actually different types, but it does refer to whether you lose a few drops or full bladder of urine at any point when you're not sitting on the toilet actually wanting to void. So I think a lot of people, there's a misconception of like, oh, I, you know, I just leak a couple of drops and it's like, well, technically that's still incontinence. And if you really want to, you can actually change that and not wait for it to get worse or just kind of wait it out, see if it gets better. So stress urinary incontinence, which this name is a little tricky because I think most people think stress is like if you're mentally or, you know, stressed, but it's actually more of a physical stress. So This is loss of urine, whether a few drops to a full bladder with coughing, laughing, sneezing, exercising, any type of movement, um, which can increase the pressure in your abdomen and then put pressure on your bladder. And basically what can happen is if that pressure can't be opposed again from your core canister, including your pelvic floor to help support um, and basically around the urethra where urine comes out, then you may get some leaking in terms of uh, during this. So this is more specific to movements or activities during your day that cause stress to the abdomen, which then cause leaking. Urge incontinence refers to the sudden urge to urinate or involuntary loss of urine. And there can be a number of reasons. Um, Sometimes it can be bladder emptying habits that have been over time or even since being a kid. Um, Stress can be one of them too. So um, you may notice you actually have this just during certain parts of your day or if you're at work, if work is particularly stressful. Um, It can also be tension in your pelvic floor as well. So often with urge incontinence, most often I see there can be tension in the pelvic floor, but we also talk about the brain bladder connection, which we'll get a little bit more into in another question. Um, but some examples where this might happen is like you get home, you put the key in the door and you didn't have to go pee five minutes ago, but all of a sudden that kind of signal to your brain makes you all of a sudden have to go. 
Or for some people, they're totally fine until they get into the bathroom, but they're not sitting down yet and they start leaking or have urgency just before they get a chance to sit. Um, other people, it can be arriving at work or if you're a new mom, it can be certain things with your kids. I know I had one mom who would always get urge, uh, the urge to go to the washroom every time she changed her baby's diaper. So if you're noticing a pattern... Again, this might be more of an urgency um, type situation, which can, again, be resolved whether there's a physical component, but also the brain-bladder connection. Um, and then mixed incontinence is basically if you have stress and urge incontinence as well. And then the last one is fecal incontinence. So this is the inability to control bowel movements. So it can cause stool to leak unexpectedly. And sometimes this is just a little bit. Um, sometimes it can be full um, bowels as well. Um, and there can be various reasons, again, why this happens. But again, the pelvic floor can be a component. So there could be weakness. There could be tightness. Um, this doesn't necessarily correspond to birth for everyone. But for some people who do have any sort of tearing or episiotomy towards the uh, rectal opening around the anal sphincter, this may be a symptom that they have after birth as well. So interesting and i think when you're talking about urge incontinence we got dozens of questions on urge incontinence and i think that it's not one that people recognize sometimes as being incontinence we just tend to think i'm leaking urine i have incontinence the urge piece of the puzzle i think people are just a bit more confused about and what you mentioned with the combination of stress in your life uh, combined with pelvic floor tension leading to urge incontinence that is something that came up for me postpartum number one around seven or eight months postpartum so had a lot of travel had a stressful period led to some increased or ramped up pelvic floor tension and then i was experiencing urge and it was so frustrating so if you're experiencing this too just know that we understand Ugh, how annoying this can be it can it's just a different experience than stress urinary incontinence and uh it's valid and hopefully we can give you some heavy hitting advice on this today second thing i want to mention anita you're almost 39 weeks pregnant at the time that yeah. we're recording this and thank yeah. you for talking because it's so hard <laughs> so hard oh my gosh okay so yeah. how common are these forms of incontinence or incontinence in general in pregnancy or postpartum? Yeah, so in Canada, it's generally, it's one in three in terms of females. Um, for men, it's one in nine. But what's also interesting is actually one in 12 are known to their care provider. So not everyone is comfortable talking about this, but I think there's the flip side where uh, it's so normalized. Um, and I never talk about um, if you have incontinence to say it's not normal, it's not a normal thing. Because I don't think that's a great message either. How I talk about it is that it doesn't have to be normal for you. You can actually make changes with it um, and lots of different ways to do that. And um, there was in terms of there is strong research to show that working with a physiotherapist who has specific training with the pelvic floor um, and this includes internal examination um, and assessment of the pelvic floor it should be the first line of defense for stress, urge, or mixed incontinence. Um, so it's to know that surgery doesn't have to be your only option or living with it doesn't have to be your only option, that there are other what we call kind of conservative ways of treating or um, 
looking to decrease and resolve these symptoms, that can be quite effective. So important to know. Let's talk about postpartum incontinence specifically and maybe dialing in on stress urinary incontinence. What is considered the range of normal, using quotations there, incontinence postpartum? Like if we're leaking at two weeks postpartum, is that still considered a quite normal function of a postpartum body at that time? At six weeks, should it still be happening? What's the situation there? Yeah, and I think it really depends who you talk to. There's so many variations on what people or professionals will say you shouldn't have any or by the six-week mark and that kind of thing. I usually look at it, again, it's it's gray because depending what your birth was like, um, if you had incontinence going into birth, but usually I say like if you do have some within the first couple weeks, like there is I mean there's a lot of healing beyond those first few weeks for sure Um, but even if you have a vaginal birth no tearing no episiotomy your pelvic floor had to stretch quite a bit to get that baby out Um, and those muscles need some time to reconnect so definitely I would say if by six weeks you're still having incontinence it's definitely worth bringing up to your care provider and seeking um, seeking more treatment in terms of that respect Um, So I would say definitely by six weeks, that should be resolved. But I would say even if you're still having it earlier, like around that four-week mark, it's something just to be aware of and to know, you know, my muscles aren't quite able to activate the way they could before. Um, And maybe even changing up if you're on your feet all day or certain things like that, things that you might be able to change in that postpartum period to help give those muscles a chance to recover. Um, Because they do so much work postpartum. And I have that discussion a lot with clients that, you know, we have our babies and then depending cesarean or vaginal birth, like once we feel like we can get up and do stuff quite a bit, we usually tend to be on our feet all day. And there comes a point where those muscles can fatigue. So giving them a chance to rest, um, but also keeping in mind if you did have tearing or episiotomy or vacuum or forceps in regards to a vaginal birth, those all affect our muscles. So giving them the time, but also treating them um, in terms of healing. And then with the cesarean birth, same thing. And you went through this twice, and I know different experiences, but I often find with my cesarean mums, um, there's usually a lot of tension, and that can actually also lead to stress incontinence. So I think it's important to note that tension can lead to all the types of incontinence as well and to think if you didn't have um, a vaginal birth it doesn't mean you're kind of ruled out of having incontinence this is so important to talk about i think that there is some misconception and myths surrounding the idea that your birth type will influence whether or not you have incontinence at all so if we think oh we had a vaginal birth Therefore, that's why the incontinence is happening. Or I had a cesarean, so I, sh- I won't ever have incontinence. And that just does not match up. Is the rate or type of incontinence correlated with birth type at all in the research or in your clinical experience? Yeah, so again, this I feel like there, there have been different studies to look at it. And I feel like there hasn't been a consensus on it. Because there are some studies that say, 
yes, if someone, you know, um, had a vaginal birth, then they have a higher rate of, or a higher risk, basically, of stress urinary incontinence. Whereas by another study said by six months, there was no difference between vaginal and cesarean birth. Um, others look at and say that if you had an elective cesarean, so if you, if you didn't go through that trial of labor and you didn't end up pushing, actually less risk of urinary incontinence. So this is just to say that there's, there's no guarantee either way. Um, and I would say I see this in my clinic as well. Um, definitely the moms who went through cesarean birth are more surprised if they have incontinence after because they really didn't expect um, to experience it. But when we go over the anatomy and what their body went through and where their scar is, it all starts to make sense. And they're like, why does no one talk about this? Because um, it really is all connected. So just to know if you do have incontinence after a cesarean birth, you're definitely not alone. There are many others who are going through it. But again, just like after a vaginal birth, a lot of things can change um, in a good way to actually help resolve or decrease those symptoms. Let's dive into some listener questions. Question number one, I have been suffering from urgency, no incontinence, but really horrible urgency. I've worked with at least three pelvic floor physios and have tried so many exercises and methods to help, but had no luck in getting better. So I had to resort to medication to calm down my overactive bladder. Any more tips or anything different I could try? Yeah, so this is a really great question. And I know we don't always have the background on the person who is asking. So I'm not sure if they've given birth before or not, or if this has been, you know, some people have urgency since they were a kid. So depending, there's a lot of different factors involved, but I think it's good to go over even what overactive bladder is, because I do get a lot of clients in with that diagnosis given from their um, uh, physician. And basically overactive bladder is a name given to kind of a group of symptoms. So it can include all of these or some of these the urge incontinence, or as this person mentioned, they don't have incontinence, but they have urgency. Um, frequent urination. So this can be um, if you're going if you're going pee basically more than eight times within a 24-hour period, that can be considered frequency. Um, and nocturnal urination. So this is waking up at night to go to the washroom. So they may be experiencing all of these or some of these, um, and that can be considered overactive bladder. So basically. When the bladder isn't full, because the bladder is a muscle, it's relaxed and it's filling up. Um, when the bladder becomes full, I explain to clients, like it, urine gets to a certain threshold. These little nerve signals and alarms go off saying, hey, you know, just time to go to the bathroom. And then you go to the bathroom and you empty. But there always is a little bit of urine in um, in the bladder, which a lot of people are surprised to know. Um, there's always a little bit left in there. But what can happen is sometimes over time, for various reasons, if we get used to emptying our bladder before those alarms go off, those alarms start to actually go off sooner and over time can create a frequency um, issue as well as urgency because you constantly feel like you have to empty your bladder. So that's where this can start to come into play. For some people, there can be um, medical reasons. So again, urinary tract infections sometimes can create um, an overactive bladder um, concern. And even when the UTI goes away, sometimes those habits or those symptoms might remain afterwards. Um, also, sometimes if there's nerve damage for various reasons um, or side effect of some medications can also um, create this. So, but I find 
um, a lot of times, so this listener sounds like they've, they've gone to various physios. I don't know exactly what strategies or exercises were tried, um, but she said she's on medication, um, which to calm down the overactive bladder. So for some people, if, if they've tried everything and medication is needed, um, this could be a time for them if they find it starting to get a bit less, going back to a pelvic physio or a new pelvic physio, trying some new strategies, checking the pelvic floor, working on those, um, and then over time weaning off the medication if that's a goal of theirs as well. Um, but I find for a lot of my clients, this tends to go away faster than they thought. Um, and some strategies we use, um, that brain bladder connection. So I talk about it as in our brain really rules everything. So right now, wherever you are, if you had to go pee, but there is a fire in the room or like right outside the room you're in, you would no longer have to go pee. Your brain prioritizes that you need to get out, that that's more the priority than going pee. And you think, how can that change that fast? But really that's what it is, is about changing kind of the messaging or priorities going on in your brain, sending signals to your body. So we'll often talk about that with clients. So with urgency, um, I often have clients actually, wherever they are, take a couple of deep breaths, which relaxes their body and then allows their pelvic floor to do what it needs to do. Um, and then I have them do this self-talk in their head. So they don't have to say this out loud, but basically they tell themselves, I'm not going to go pee till I'm sitting on the toilet, pants around my ankles. They say it over and over. And I tell them, I know this sounds really funny, but I was like, try it. And so many clients come back after one session and they're like, how in the world did that work? Because it made a huge difference. But basically, when you think about you have urgency, what's going on in your brain is like, Jess, you got to get to the bathroom. Hurry up and get to the bathroom. Let's just clench everything up. You got to get to the bathroom. This is going to get worse and worse and worse. And you feel your body tense. So if we can do some deep breathing and change the messaging going on in your brain, it can, have to, it can often work quite well. Um, the other side too is also tension in the pelvic floor. Um, so there may be some manual work that needs to be done or in general, some exercises, some breath work throughout your day. Um, but even within that moment, just knowing how to relax tension in your body can make a huge difference. Um, and another thing too I'll have clients do is a bladder diary. So even before we start any strategies, um, there's a specific um, kind of handout I give them. And basically they write down how much they drink, what they drink, when they go pee, how long they're going pee for, and if there's any leaking so we know where they start. And a lot of times people are surprised when they actually get it on paper and I'll have them do it for three days and then they try the strategies and then we'll redo it and they'll notice such a big difference. Sometimes it's tweaking when they're drinking certain things because some things can cause urgency such as caffeine, sugar, alcohol. So sometimes we tweak those types of things. So in a nutshell, there's quite a few things that can lead to overactive bladder and these symptoms. Um, and so I'm glad that this person tried all the other kind of strategies first, ended up needing to go to some medication to kind of calm down the symptoms. But now may be a good time to go back to those strategies, bring them back in. And then if they want to kind of wean off the medication. Ooh, this is fascinating. <sighs> I love that you mentioned that brain bladder connection and the self-talk and the breath work. So powerful things we can do immediately right away to test. How would medication actually work? What is the physiology of that? 
Yeah, so it's more um, because we talked about the, um, basically you get the urgency, like when your bladder is basically trying to pump and like get urine out and how our body works, like when we're actually going pee, our bladder is pumping, getting urine out, our pelvic floor relaxes. So what the medication can do is to help change what's actually going on in the bladder to help it stay more relaxed, basically, um, which can be helpful. And there's various medications. And depending on the physician you're working with, everyone kind of has their different go-tos. But in a nutshell, that's basically what it is. So helping the bladder to not be contracting the same way um, to help with that. So that can be helpful. Um, but like I said, it's one of those things where not many people, I haven't, I haven't had a ton of people have to go the medication route. Um, but the ones, sometimes they actually come in already on medication and they're like, it did help, but I really don't want to stay on this. So then at that point we try these strategies so then they can wean off the medication. So cool. Let's get to uh-huh. our next question. This person said, cool. I'm two years postpartum and have been working out since early postpartum. I do CrossFit classes three times per week. I've been feeling great in and out of the gym until recently. I started noticing some leaking during high impact exercises and when I'm doing heavier lifts. These exercises and loads aren't new for me. Why has the leaking only started now? This is more common than I think people realize. I get this question quite often. And just to sum it up, the loads and the exercises aren't new. They've been doing them for a period of time. And then what seems like all of a sudden, they start having these symptoms out of nowhere. Okay, so, so that that was good to know. Because I wasn't sure if they meant not new loads in terms of they did these in pregnancy but haven't done them since. But no, this person has done same. Okay. Yeah, they've been doing yeah. that. So first thing I always want to know is more life history. I want to know all the things. Has there been anything different that has been happening in their life over the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months? Any changes in the lifestyle in general? So for some people, they might not realize maybe that they have weaned their baby from breastfeeding. Uh, recently and then now they started having some symptoms pop up or they've had a ton of life stress things starting to pile on them and now they're starting to see these symptoms there can be many other things about it but i find that often those two are the ones that come up most often when people start thinking about it so weaning breastfeeding or lots of life things that have started happening that has felt like more mental and emotional stress Mm -hmm. what do you see yeah no i love that you brought those up those were definitely on my list as well and because yeah hormones when you stop nursing your hormones do change in terms of estrogen levels um and so that can affect it. I was also going to say in regards to hormones is when did they get their period back? So similar to that, like I stopped nursing around 18, 19 months and got it back around that time. But depending for some people, it's even longer than that. So, you know, is there a hormone side to it? Because estrogen levels can affect even the tone of the muscles or tissue around the urethra um, and in the pelvic floor. Also, 
I was curious with this person if they noticed it around, if they do have their period back, is it certain parts of their cycle? Because again, things in terms of hormones change during your um, menstrual cycle um, and the cervix can also change position throughout your cycle. So is that playing a role as well? Um, and the other thing, because you mentioned sleep or stress and work, and I was going to mention also sleep. So is there a little one going through a sleep regression? Are they up all night? Because I do talk about this a lot with moms and until someone talks about it, I don't think it clicks that if you're not sleeping at night for your body to give you the energy and sustain the strength, especially if you're asking to do something like CrossFit, it just may not have the stamina or the energy to give towards that. And that might be part of the symptoms as well. So even though you've been doing them for a while, if you have this big change and you're not getting sleep, which is when your body recovers and replenishes and re-energizes, that could definitely affect um, how, how symptoms are. And the other thing I was going to say is possibly if their strategies have changed, like if they had a big change in body composition or anything recently, you know, are you breath holding now or are is your alignment changing or are you being cued differently in your CrossFit class? So I think there's definitely a lot of things to look into for that. Mm-hmm. So important. And just one more point to mention around the workout programming or the structure of the workout itself. Maybe the loads that you have been doing have stayed the same, but has there been anything else that has changed around the exercise? Have there been new exercises introduced, different loads in other exercises? Just has there been any shifts to the actual workout programming itself? Are you working out more? Are you working out less? Tons to consider here. Next question. I love this one. This person wants to know information on leak proof undies. I'm seriously considering them as I progress through this pregnancy, but they're expensive and I'd rather not waste my money. I haven't used pads yet and I just don't think my mental health can handle the thought of them right now, but leak proof underwear feels more doable. Not something I want forever, but maybe a nice thing for this season of life as I figure out this second pregnancy and postpartum period. With this question as well, I'm not sure if they've seen a pelvic physio or have had the opportunity to kind of dive a little bit more into why the leaking is happening. Because um, definitely, I know the leak-proof underwear can be fa- fantastic in terms of when you're kind of progressing through things or working on leaking less um, with that. So I just thought I would bring that up. I'm not sure if they've looked into that side of it um, yet or if they're planning on it. Um, the company that I really like, which is actually Canadian is called Nixwear. And yes, it is. I think a lot of people would consider it more expensive than buying just kind of underwear at another store. Um, but the technology and the fabric is pretty amazing and it, it can be good for, again, those people who are kind of in between who are working on decreasing, um, incontinence, but it also can be great for sweat in terms of wicking away sweat as well. Um, so yeah, Nixwear would be the, the key one, um, that I'm aware of here. Mm-hmm. I love this. And I think the most important part of this question is when this person says, I just don't think my mental health can handle the thought of them right now when they were referring to using pads. And we know that our mental and emotional health can really affect that pelvic floor health too. So for me, it's a big go for it. If you feel like you can put the resources on these right now, then that is something to do. One other brand that you might look into is Thinks. I know that they are marketed as uh, period underwear for menstrual cycles. I know they've been under the fire for some questionable 
treatment of their employees so something to look into as well but uh u.s based brand last question currently 31 weeks pregnant i can't seem to cough or sneeze without leaking does this go away after birth should i be setting myself up for a lifetime of pp pants so this is a great question i think this is great to kind of end on this is our last question for today because with what we've talked about um already to know that you know whether you're pregnant or postpartum that it should you should never feel like okay this is just the way it's going to be um and even with pregnancy because i do feel like it's it is talked about a lot like you're pregnant there's more weight on your bladder this is just kind of the way it is it'll go away postpartum or it won't go away postpartum and neither of them are actually necessarily correct so we want this person to know that you don't have to go through this, that what we've talked about, so different strategies, um, uh, working through whether it's with a fitness um, instructor who is well aware of pelvic floor and core um, rehab and treatment, as well as seeing a pelvic floor physiotherapist, if that's possible at all. Um, but yeah, definitely, it's not something that you have to put up with just because you're pregnant. And I see a lot of expecting moms at this point and beyond and they're so surprised that they can actually end leaking the further they are in pregnancy. I think some people think, okay, I'm in my third trimester, game over. Um, but you can make changes pretty quickly at any point in pregnancy. And also looking into it now can be great because it's going to set this person up um, postpartum with all these strategies that they can use um, and to connect with these muscles before birth, which will help their postpartum recovery as well. I love it. And I especially think it's so impactful for people to hear what you said about making these changes so quickly I think that often we think that it might take so many sessions and how are we going to fit that into our life and we can't afford it we don't have the access to it but really even one session could be so helpful to them and as you said give them this education and these strategies to take in through the rest of pregnancy and into postpartum as well Okay, friends, that is it for this episode, Q&A all about incontinence. We wanted to give you the basic understanding of what incontinence is, the different types, how common it might be in pregnancy and postpartum, and then also give you some concrete suggestions to move forward if you are experiencing some of these symptoms. We will definitely need to do a round two on this topic because we had so many questions come in. So stay tuned for that. But for now, we hope that this was helpful and can give you some hope moving forward. On the next episode of To Birth and Beyond, we have a very special guest, my sister, Nikki Mundell. She joins us for a conversation about choosing to have or not to have children. We talk a lot about all the layers that can come with this topic and a lot about the assumptions that people place on women identifying people and female presenting people. We speak about how we want people to be cognizant of their comments that they might be saying to people who do not have children. And we are really adamant that you give people the space to make their own decisions for their bodies and their lives. 
We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 